Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, The Great Good Thing by Roderick Townley. Page turning sounds. Uh oh, the breakdown between <laughs> reader and character. It's already it's happening. This book was a listener request. Thank you, Abby, for writing in and requesting it. This was a delightful book. It was delightful. Before we go any further, I will encourage everyone to take an hour, hour and a half. It's a really fast read and go read this book. It I don't think there's an ebook or an audiobook, but I was able to find it um, at my local library, which is doing COVID-friendly pickups for holds. So if your library is doing something similar, go get it. I'm sorry. And I, I don't usually... <laughs> and I guess you can also buy books. <laughs> to me, that's kind of a foreign concept these days. <laughs> that is true. I'm two years into business ownership and, you know, COVID, things are tight. Yeah. Uh, but you can buy it. <laughs> we permit that. We do thoroughly spoil every book we cover, so if you're planning on checking this one out, don't listen. Read it first. It's the, like the shortest book we've ever done. It's so quick to read. Do it. We decided to cover this book because after Abby mentioned it, I looked it up and I saw one cover that just kind of barreled to the forefront of my mind. And I love doing this podcast and having those moments when you see art yeah. that you haven't seen. I mean, for me now, for 20 years. Um and uh, suddenly it all comes rushing back yeah. as if you're in a sci-fi film. <laughs> no, I mean, it's that exact feeling where mm-hmm. like all the pictures are moving past you as your brain is processing. <laughs> it's great. Highly recommend it. Search out that feeling <laughs> if you can. Yeah, yeah. Something that's been fun to do is just then go on Goodreads and look at one of these books that came back in a flash of memory and then look at sim- what they say are similar books or also recommended. then you can find more. And then there tend to be more yeah. that pop up and suddenly it's just whoosh, 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 whoosh. All the way <laughs> down stop. that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> so we did, as I mentioned, take this book out from the wonderful Seattle, Seattle Public <laughs> Library. Yep, we live in Seattle. But I did find the cover of the edition that I read when I was young. So, Madeline, would you like to describe this cover? Yes. Uh, and uh, and we'll put this up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. I already said to Grace off mic that it looks like a Diana Wynne-Jones book cover. And I think it uses the same font that her covers use or a similar a one. A similar font, at least, definitely, which especially is part of it. for the Dark Lord of Darkholm. That's what I'm thinking That's of. That's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, because there's like a big winged creature here, um, the blind owl, which is a really cool thing to choose for the cover because the blind owl is like so magnificent and striking. Yeah. Uh, and they did a really good job of that on the cover of this. Um, and even show, so the, the owl is holding um, Sylvie, And uh, it's holding her, and you can even see that it's got one of its feet. Like, you can see where the talon is clutching at her shoulder. I think that's when the owl's talon is in her shoulder blade, right? Yeah, which was a a really intense detail, (laughs) but... um, I appreciated it because it made a lot of sense that if you were being picked up by some kind of yeah. giant predatory bird. Yeah, like, in books when eagles and owls are grabbing you for friendly reasons, mm-hmm. I think it would still be hard for them to not rip into some muscle. 
Yeah, so I I often think about it uh, with Lord of the Rings, like yes. at the very well, not complete end, but near the end of Return of the King, when the eagles pick when Frodo and Frodo Sam, and Sam are just up, like skeletal husks like, dying on the mountainside. Mm. <laughs> the eagles come, but I think that those eagles are big enough, and the hobbits are small enough that they they they, they can, can go completely around, their, right? Claws yeah. completely around their bodies like in a yeah. little cage, <laughs> yeah. Instead of the like actual sinking of talons into their flesh. Oh boy! But, yeah, I mean, what would you prefer, dying or being just like fully skewered by owl talons? Yeah, up to you. Yeah, it's you know, it would have made a much less like cathartic and nice scene if Frodo and Sam were like, ah, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh. When will the torment yeah. end? <laughs> so thank you, Tolkien, for... I can't you know. believe we're laughing at this <laughs> <laughs> Okay, going to be a silly episode, um, even though this episode is about a lot of dark and serious matters. A lot of really there. dark things, but, but told in a very respectful, beautiful, loving way. And that's why I like this cover. It it really does feel, because the owl is really scary looking, but he's also saving her, and you can tell that from the picture that yeah, it's like, a she's friend. being rescued. Um, her outfit is awesome. I love the detail mm-hmm. um, that they put into uh, her dress and gown, yeah. and like her little boot there is really cool um and you can see the castle in the background and then uh, also they're kind of being enveloped by the spooky tree which is because the owl is taking her away and saving her um and there's a lot of uh scary forests and not scary forests in this book so i i really like this cover I, i love the the rolling clouds too behind mm-hmm. the castle it's a lot of movement Yes. Yeah. It's a very action shot. Um, yeah. Very well done. Good job. Mystery artist. Yeah. I, I couldn't find the artist for this edition. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think I mentioned, but this book was published in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, so this came out and I read it when I was in middle school. Um, I don't believe we ever had a copy of it because okay. yeah, my memory is very fuzzy. Yeah, I have I had not seen this book before. So let's go into a plot summary for those who are unfamiliar or haven't visited the book in a while. Just off the bat, we realize on the first page that this is a meta fairy tale, mm-hmm. metafictional, because there is interaction between the characters and the reader of the story. There is no fourth wall. <laughs> no. I Literally, mean, no. You could say that it's that the fourth wall is broken, but it never really exists. Yeah. The characters even talk amongst themselves about how you're not supposed to look at the reader, but for us, the reader outside of the book, not mm-hmm. the reader, the character in the book that we're reading. Right. Um, that That's never really a concept mm-hmm. um, because there is immediate interplay between characters and readers. Mm-hmm. So the characters in the book are Sylvie, the protagonist, who is a spunky princess of the age of 12 who has to accomplish a great good thing and that's also the name of the in-book text um and in order to do that she has a set 
adventure that she goes on and a life that she lives, these different perils that she makes her way through. And anytime anyone picks up this book that they're in to read it, all of the characters have to scramble to go to the appropriate places and then they act out a set dialogue. They say their lines. They say their lines, they keep moving um, and, you know, those the characters that die come back at the end every time the book is reopened mm-hmm. so it's an eternal renewing story and it reminded me just for comparison's sake it reminded me a lot of inside out the pixar film so much where there are characters who act as your emotions i think pixar <laughs> plagiarized this book probably <laughs> Um, and it, it's a similar kind of vibe where there is this whole careful structure that's been built in order to entertain in this case, as opposed to Inside Out, where it's to produce feelings. Um, yeah. And the different characters have their set different roles. There's the princess, there are her parents, the king and queen. There is an evil prince that she's supposed to marry, um, that she thwarts ultimately. Mm-hmm. There are thieves. Um, and then there are different courtiers and uh, like ladies in waiting and gentlemen and a jester named Pingree. And then there are various animals that we'll animals. talk about later um, who assist Sylvie throughout her quests. Mm-hmm. Then outside of the book, there are characters that we interact with um, within this book's narrative. I feel like this is going to sound really... <laughs> messy and confusing because we're readers and then there are also readers in the book and then there are characters in the book some of whom are characters and some of whom are readers do you think you can say it so that it sounds like it has a capital r (laughs) the reader (laughs) there you go (laughs) the reader in the book is named claire and she is a little girl and sylvie only remembers the book having been read much, much, much earlier before this little girl opens it by a different little girl who has dark blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And she loved the book and read it again and again and again. But then it just sat and collected dust for many years. And they don't know what happened because they only get to be inside the the book. Yeah, and they were just chilling, um, hoping someone would open it. And then Claire does. And she begins reading the book often. Her gross brother makes an appearance from time to time. Ricky, right? That's his name? Yeah, he's like a Sid from Toy Story. Like, he's terrible. He has no redeeming quality. No, yeah, <laughs> loves setting things on fire, um, foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, volcanoes and weapons and, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and ultimately, like, seems like he's trying to... If, involve his sister in some bad business scheme as an adult but we'll get to that yeah (laughs) so bad brother ricky um but other than that uh they really just see claire and the more she starts opening the book sylvie starts noticing that there are different vantage points that she can see from in particular one illustration in the book because everything in the book is like the text itself is real like it's um tangible Mm -hmm. like you can climb different paragraphs and like sit in sentences and Mm -hmm. things like that but then there are also illustrations and it seems like that's where the more visual opportunities take place like the scenery is real but then they also interact like with the the text itself words themselves yeah Yeah, which is 
uh, so fun. It is fun. <laughs> it's very fun. Um, and so Sylvie notices that she can travel beyond the margin of the page into this exciting looking place, which turns out to be Claire's dream. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. So I'm going to say now, that a lot. <laughs> this is a great book. She's now traveled from one imaginary world, a story, into another imaginary mental world, a dream. Mm-hmm. And in the dream, she interacts with Claire and helps her because Claire is scared and she doesn't know what's happening. She needs help. And Sylvie is saying like, well, you always know what's going to happen. That's what my existence is. So why isn't it yours? And Sylvie starts to learn some things about the world. (laughs) Um, So time passes and Sylvie continues to enter into Claire's dreams. Claire begins taking the book and reading it to her grandmother who is sick and who she is visiting Um, And who clearly loves the story. Mm -hmm. And Claire says that it was her favorite when she was young. And that's how Claire ended up with the book. And so clearly those are the two who have loved the book before. And we're getting an idea that the grandmother is the one who read the book so often when she was young. When she was the dark blue eyed girl. And then one day something horrible happens and the book is set on fire by Ricky. 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 (laughs) (laughs) This rallying cry. Shakes fist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, A um, Waluigi sort of presence (laughs) in my mind. Exactly. So Ricky sets the book on fire and Claire says to her family, you know, I think the only... uh, thing we can do is to escape into Claire's dreams um, because we're going to have to find a new world because our our story is being destroyed like around them and there's a really intense escape Mm -hmm. action sequence and they it's harrowing they (laughs) escape with um, some of the courtiers with Thomas the thief and Pingree the jester um, with Sylvie's mom and dad the king and queen and with the invisible fish a very cool character and with the great owl um so once they've moved over into claire's brain fully um they enter through a dream but then claire wakes up mm-hmm. and they're kind of worried like what's going to happen to us now and it turns out that being in dream world is basically like being in a big theater and when the reader the human isn't dreaming you are kind of just hanging out with all the other characters and things and concepts that that reader i shouldn't call her the reader now because she's not a reader anymore she is a dreamer that mm-hmm. the dreamer comes up with yeah so they still exist in her subconscious even if yes. she's not dreaming currently like they still have form um so claire grows and gets older she ages and the dreams change they're not so often adventure dreams or like being chased by ricky (laughs) dreams um they're stress dreams and adolescence dreams and being in your underwear in front of an assembly not prepared (laughs) with your speech dreams um been there and things start to get kind of disturbing and Claire says, oh, and throughout their guide in the dream world has been the little blue eyed girl yeah. um, who is also in Claire's dreams. Mm-hmm. So she's been present and kind of helping Claire and her parents, I'm sorry, Sylvie and her parents um, and the other characters from the book 
adapt to this new world. And she suggests to them, you know, maybe you need more space and you need things to be a little like more manageable for you. Why don't you leave the dreams and they're basically heading out into Claire's memories, like into other parts of her, of this mental place that they're all existing in within her brain. Mm -hmm. And they do that. They go out into her memories and build a new kingdom there and essentially try to restart their story. Um, Or they're trying to like keep it alive. They're not telling it anymore, essentially. They're attempting to remember it, but Mm -hmm. things are also getting kind of confusing because it hasn't been read in a while. So one day, the blue-eyed girl comes to the castle from the dream area and tells Sylvie that she needs her help, that Claire needs her. And Claire hasn't been dreaming about Sylvie. She Mm -hmm. hasn't been dreaming about any of them. So they've just been existing in her memories, but not coming back out into active dreamland. And some of them are resting. (laughs) And while they're out in in her memories, they meet other people and characters, you know, both people that Claire knew or knows in real life, and story characters and then just things that she dreamed of um, and brought to life. But if they're not thought of, if they're not remembered, then they begin to rust and they have they don't function as well and they're not as comfortable and eventually can just disappear. So the blue eyed girl asks Sylvie to help her. And Sylvie follows her into the real world, although she's still, you know, just existing as basically a figment. um, So no one can see her, but she doesn't have to wait for Claire to sleep to see what she's doing, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, So they discover that Claire is talking to a little girl and Claire doesn't look the way that Sylvie thought she would. And then she realizes that the older woman in the room is Claire um, because Sylvie doesn't understand the concept of aging because nobody ages. So she keeps thinking that different people are putting on or taking off disguises Mm -hmm. um, when she's seeing them as they grow older because decades are passing um, as Sylvie is existing just as a story character. The blue eyed girl says to Sylvie, you have to help Claire remember the story because otherwise you're all going to forget the story. You need this um, affirmation to continue existing. Mm -hmm. So Sylvie kind of whisper minds (laughs) the entire text to Claire, who tells it to her daughter, whose name is Lily. Because she wanted to name her after Sylvie, but couldn't remember Sylvie's name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's very cute. And then Lily becomes the new story keeper, essentially. Um, She has Claire tell it to her again and again and again, and she memorizes it, and then she starts dreaming of the characters. Oh, and the other thing that Sylvie does while she's telling the story to Claire is remind her of her childhood algebra teacher, Mr. Fangle, because he's someone who she has met in Claire's memories and, and who has been her tutor. Um, and Sylvie's very fond of him, but Mr. Fingle is getting uh, rusty and he doesn't have any other living family members. There's no one else to remember him. The last place that he exists is in uh, this distant memory of Claire's. Terrifying. 
Yeah. I guess that's the part that's more similar to Coco, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's actually passed away. Right. Yeah. Um, so she also whispers Mr. Fangle's name into Claire's ear and gets her to think about him. Although she never actually dreams about him. She doesn't him. dream about him. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not a huge surprise. Fair. So when Sylvie returns to the kingdom from the real, real world, she finds that Pingree has usurped her father, the king, his throne. Um, he has taken it. And the king and queen and everyone loyal to them has gone to live in the woods. Um, the castle, meanwhile, Sylvie has seen that it's not doing great. And that when they rebuilt it, they didn't quite do everything correctly. It's, it's just like all trippy and funhouse and yeah. warped. <laughs> yeah. Right angles aren't. 90 degrees um, and she ultimately finds out that they just used book glue yeah. to build it because they're used to living in a book in world a book, and book glue works in and a book glue works but in memories you need something else I'm yeah. not sure what but something different memory glue memory glue naturally <laughs> <laughs> little memory tape yep <laughs> um, and Pingree says that he expects Sylvie to marry him um, there are a lot of upsetting marriage concepts throughout the book which i think is funny commentary on fairy tales because sylvia is 12 we learned right at the beginning immediately and at the beginning her mom says you're 12 years old you should be thinking of marriage not adventure like hmm (laughs) yikes which is uh medievally accurate unfortunately it is so Sylvie sort of tricks Pingree, um, escapes his clutches, and heads into the woods to talk to her parents and figure out what to do. Well, um, the owl saves her, right? She falls off the castle, and then the owl saves her yeah, again. Yeah, she's, she's climbing away over the castle walls, and then she falls, um, and the owl is there to catch her. I did Gandalf think. moth style. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I did think of Eugenides when mm, she was mm-hmm. like climbing off out of the castle wall. Yeah. <laughs> Our last episode on the King of Atolia by Megan Whalen Turner. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Check it out. Um, and in the forest, it becomes clear that everyone's just kind of in an awkward place. They don't really know what's happening with yeah. the story. Everyone's confused. The No one really has a place to exist. And they're characters. They're used to having a set, you know, group of lines. And they've been literally displaced. They're not even in the book anymore. They're in this scary, like, mountain landscape. They don't even get to be in the new castle <laughs> they built. They're not even in the horrible <laughs> castle that they made. Yeah. There's a usurper on the throne who's, like, a cruel jester. Yeah, um, who I think has a horrible complex because he none of <laughs> he said that none of his lines were funny. And this is and where... he's a jester. He's a jester. Because I think because the book was written by, you know, a young girl, which we'll get to in a minute. She mm-hmm. just didn't really know what to do with jester lines. And so he was like trapped and tormented by bad jokes that he yeah. had to tell forever. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm going to write my own lines. <laughs> become, become the, the king. <laughs> yeah. Become the god king. Um, so anyway, I believe it's at that point that the girl with the yeah. dark blue eyes That's shows when she returns. Again. Um, and they've been living in the woods for a while at that point. <laughs> yeah. Kind of hoping to get back into the castle and like performing, yeah. you know, raiding to get supplies. Some from of time them to are time. rusting. Some are rusting. Like things just aren't really working at all for yeah. anyone because the castle's also falling apart. So yeah. the folks in it aren't really thriving either. No. 
And the little girl with the dark blue eyes comes back again. And as Fangle has very wisely said to Sylvie, you can't solve a problem from the inside. You have to go outside it. It's one of my favorite lines in the book. It reminded me so much of something that I used to tell my clients all the time when I was attorneying. Um, like when people would be like crying or upset or whatever and be like, oh, I'm like, sorry to put all this on you. And I would just be like, no, that is what a lawyer is for. Lawyers need lawyers too. It doesn't matter like who you are. It's yeah. it's all about having someone who knows the rules, mm-hmm. who isn't emotionally involved because it's so much harder to solve a problem when you are inside of it. And it's exactly the same with therapy. Yeah. Maybe think about that a lot too. <laughs> Yeah, you can't have all the tools and abilities to look at what you're experiencing, and then Mm -hmm. the therapist can in an objective way. And I mean, your therapists develop relationships with you, but Mm -hmm. they're not in your life. They're not your friend. They're your therapist. Right. These Um, are not your therapist's problems. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, Fangle, as a math teacher, is um, well suited to put it in geometric terms. Yeah, he also says, "Yeah, it's uh, we're it's important to think of parallelograms because I've realized that this world is a parallelogram, and we're all parallelograms mm-hmm. because there are these different versions of everyone that exist. Mm-hmm. Because he was a human living in the world, he has passed, and now he is this figment of Claire's." memory that's rusting away mm-hmm. um there's so many different layers to it the themes in this book are so good like there's yeah. there's so many intense themes that are so tightly worked into the narrative like very skillful i was skillful. very impressed and we'll talk more about that once we finish this dang plot summary <laughs> <laughs> so the blue-eyed girl says you got to go outside the problem I want you to leave this world. I think it's time. You're ready. You've always wanted to adventure. You've always wanted something different. You've wanted to grow, even though you're, you know, trapped at age 12 forever. Mm -hmm. And you should enter into Lily's mind. Um, And this is a way that you're going to be able to ultimately save us all. Because Mm -hmm. Claire is very old. Um, she is not well. Yeah, she's like dying. And they're hearing Lily talk to her. Um, and then this is their opportunity to move the story over into Lily's brain and maybe see what happens there. Mm-hmm. So Sylvie crosses over into Lily's mind. First, I've, this this felt important to me that all of no one else went with her. They, they yeah. had a conversation about it, and no one else wanted to go. They were like, we're going to stay here. They didn't even know if they're going to die or not, mm-hmm. but Sylvie is the one who goes, and everyone else stays behind. Yeah. Or those versions of those people. Yeah, yeah. And there is, there's so much, there's so much uncertainty. And the folks who are staying behind decide that they're going to try to take back the throne and yeah. try to get things a little more right in, in this new kingdom. It's unclear what Riggle Rump wants. <laughs> R- Prince Rigoloff. Rigoloff. Also known as Riggle Rump in Madeline's mind. That's what the character looks like in Madeline's brain. Yep, exactly. 
Um, and Sylvie also hears and sees a grown Ricky trying to force an elderly Claire who's ailing to sign papers relating to one of his business ventures and a second mortgage and really unpleasant stuff. Yeah. Speaking of lawyers, she needs one. Yeah. Ricky, Ricky is still very <laughs> bad. Up very to bad. bad news. Um, but Claire seems to have a lovely husband and daughter. So she has yeah, a and they're family like, of her own. And they're making sure that Ricky doesn't actually take advantage of her. For sure. Yeah. So Sylvie helps Lily remember the story to tell to Claire as she is elderly and sick and laying in bed. And in order to do so, she also has to say goodbye to the dark blue eyed little girl who in that moment becomes a very old woman. Yeah. She becomes as she was like right before she passed. Um, becomes Claire's grandmother mm-hmm. who were now three generations past because we're moving into Lily's brain. Yeah. And Sylvie does so, and she's very happy there. Lily's brain is more orderly and more predictable than Claire's. Very organized. Yeah. Um, I love seeing the differences between different dreamscapes and memoryscapes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Lily is a writer, but she's not having publishing success. And one day, Sylvie says to her in her mind in a dream somewhere that they're meeting because they really it seems like the two of them just like talk <laughs> it's you know it's not like through the facade of a dream yeah. um it, she's just very pre- Sylvie's very present in her mind um probably because she just told the story mm-hmm. to claire yeah and she says hey you've never found a copy of that book that your mom used to tell you the story from and then you told it to her and it seems like you should preserve it Mm because that's my book and I want it to keep existing. Um, And this is when we realized that it was Claire's grandma who wrote it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's why there was only one copy. Um, It was just her private book and Ricky burned it because he's the worst. So (laughs) Lily sets about writing it down and Sylvie helps her remember it. And Lily adds some flair of her own because she is a writer after all. Mm -hmm. And Sylvie also puts in a few characters that weren't in the book. Mm -hmm. She puts in the little girl with the dark blue eyes so that she can continue to spend time with her. Mm -hmm. And she puts in Fangle so that that he won't disappear (laughs) and rest away. And then Sylvie is able to cross back over into the book of which there are 40,000 initial copies printed and more to come. And yeah, she just wakes everyone again. Yeah. And suddenly like the castle is back. All of her friends and family are riding in on a procession. Pingree is there. Pingree is normal. (laughs) Um, There are some slight differences because Lily has visualized some of the characters differently, Mm -hmm. which I loved. And the costumes are different. Yeah. The costumes are different. Um, So it, you know, it's the same tale, but told by, by a different storyteller. Yeah. And they go on with their story. Yeah. I thought Old that new impressions. <laughs> go ahead. My new impression, because I don't have an old one, is that I thought that Sylvie was the author. I thought that's what she was telling her at the very end. Like, you're real, aren't you? Because you're you're the author. No. Okay. Claire's grandma. Definitely wrote the book. <laughs> and then Sylvie rewrites it based with, on with Lily. With Lily. And like and when grandma's not around, but then grandma comes back after she re- okay. Yeah, Sylvie's fully a character. She didn't exist. Okay, she, that makes she can't sense. exist in 
a world outside of that makes more sense because I was yeah I was confused about Mm -hmm. the questions that rose that gave birth to um yeah because Claire's grandma the little girl with the blue eyes also says that things like clues at different points she says um like that she knows the story very well and And maybe um, it was a private printing and yes okay and she also says I've always been good with words when she's talking to um, uh, Sylvie and like telling her her speech, like what her speech should okay. be like. Okay. Um, I get it. And uh, yeah, there are a few different moments where we can tell that she created their gotcha. world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes more sense then. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And that makes it even more beautiful that it's this really private story that's been passed um, through four generations, although seemingly skipping Claire's mother. She's the the odd one out yeah. in this lineage of Claire's grandma, her mom, Claire, and then Lily. Yeah, it sounds like her parents weren't like the her most parents fun. Aren't super present. No, what <laughs> dreams she has about them where they're like glumly throwing some kind of food to fish. Yeah, they're just like standing on a riverbank. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she has a lot of memories of her and Ricky going to live with their grandma for periods of time. Yeah. And I think it's mentioned that it's because their parents are doing like a work thing. Um, yes, you're right. They left them with their grandmother and she like raised them for I, a while. Yeah, I wasn't sure at first if her parents were well or if they were really neglectful bad parents. And it seems like they probably didn't care about their children a whole lot and their grandma did. Yeah. Um, it sounds like they were more interested in like other stuff to the point where like instead of just getting a nanny or you know like doing childcare in some way to keep their kids with them they literally just deposited them with grandma and were like yeah like all or nothing (laughs) yeah we can't deal with this and went away (laughs) and there's yeah there's like a lot of different resentments within the family between Ricky and Claire um there's like a lot of emotional pain I yeah. feel and mm-hmm. Ricky also says that he doesn't feel that their grandma likes him um I mean, Ricky maybe you should suck less <laughs> yeah Ricky is a, he's a tough character to love sorry but just throwing the hard facts out here today uh yeah he's he's tough to love <laughs> But uh, but, but there's around. something going on there too. Yeah, like they he's know. still and around. He's, he's technically the first one to read the book in this sto- in this book that we read. Well, like, he <laughs> um, like starts and it he and spills jam on it. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> wow, not not Ooh. an episode for Ricky Love. <laughs> no. Okay, so so my new impressions um i have only faint memories of this book but i totally understand why it made some impact on me um because this type of fourth wall breaking Mm -hmm. fractured fairy tale feels like a very comfortable it's so appealing um i loved stuff like this and i think that this book can be read by many different age levels with different levels of complex understanding i think you could read it at any age level you could have it read to you before you can read and it would be thoroughly enjoying and you probably find something new in it like every time you're at a different phase in your life Mm -hmm. yeah i think as a young reader um you love the narrative you Mm -hmm. love the goofiness um and then the moving it's just so fun to think that you could move from 
uh, within a book to within a dream, but then also as a person interact with characters yeah. in a book and hang out with them in your dreams. I think that's part of the reason it reminds us so much of Pixar because mm-hmm. Pixar is very good at doing those things. Yeah, for sure. You know, like yeah. making a really cool, all-inclusive world for a kid to bop around mm-hmm. in. And I think taking these really conceptual pieces and making them more accessible and tangible. Yes, that is very, I think yeah. that's what Roderick Townley does so well because at first I was a little concerned when I was rereading it. I was like, is this going to bother me? Like the fact that characters can like climb on paragraphs, but then they also can like move into a brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I wasn't sure if it was going to be, because you know, sometimes with this type of yeah, writing, um, you can get like kind of bogged down in the specifics and be like, well, I know it's not really going to quote unquote make sense but because does it's a story about a character work? moving between worlds, but, but right in, within the narrative, do I feel that it's satisfying? Yeah. Um, and I was pretty swept along by it. Yes. Like I, I really didn't ever stop and quibble with nope. what was going on. It, I, it was one of those books where I sat down to start it and I read the whole thing mm-hmm. um, yeah. because it's like you can do that. It's short and it really grabs you. I think there's also, okay, so that's one way in which a young reader could read it. I think also a young reader could read it from a place of stress because there is this implication that if you don't remember everyone and everything always it will go away but that's also what happens to your brain um so that's where some of the darker themes start coming in and that reminded me of something that we would do when we were kids where we would um rotate our stuffed animals because we felt like we needed to give them each the same amount of affection and love and time and when we were playing with them we would like take turns and like pick the ones that we hadn't played with for a while and that ultimately led to us choosing like I think some some of the ones that you know were like the most broken or like the grossest (laughs) making them our favorite ones who got the most story time and got the most action (laughs) got the most action you know what I mean I still have several of those stuffed animals sitting Mm -hmm. on my desk watching me while Mm -hmm. I work and live yeah. because I still don't want to like not have them in my life. <laughs> For sure. Like um, the unique voices that you assign to those imaginary presences that become real yes. to you yes. in your mind. Yes. Whoa. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and then moving on to reading it as an adult, you think about the nature of memory and dreams and fiction and how they all uh, can intertwine Mm -hmm. Um, and also the very important meaningful piece of keeping people who have passed away alive through your mind Mm -hmm. um, through remembering them and memorializing them um and yeah, giving them that mental energy. Yeah. Um, and there's just so much to think about. <laughs> it, uh, this book made me laugh and cry. Yeah. Um, and it was really beautiful. And we were also saying before we turned on the mics um, that it makes sense that Roderick Townley is a poet um, because there is a fluidity to the writing Mm -hmm. and it's also 
It's also very packed with meaning. Um, That's why I say like it's it's a very tightly put together book. Like mm -hmm. there's no fluff. Um, Everything is really important, but it's also, even though it's so short, Mm -hmm. it still feels very big. Yeah. You know? And it spans probably a hundred years of our time. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, So (laughs) it's pretty impressive. Yeah. The other... uh, the other works that this made me think of, and I'm not saying that this is derivative, but I think I think it helps to understand what Roderick Townley was doing with this story to compare it to other works that examine traveling between the mental and the tangible mm-hmm. and the fictional and the physical real world. Um but I did keep thinking about the never-ending story, which we I thought about never-ending story, uh, which too. we do have an episode on as well. This is at once a simpler and more complicated work than mm-hmm. the never-ending story, um, because here the focus is on the interplay between the outside world and the inner lives and the characters, as opposed to focusing on, like in the never-ending story how outsiders can just come in and help characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And while you can read the never-ending story on a level of it happening inside Bastion's mind as well, Mm -hmm. um, I was, I I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the differences between the two and how here we are moving kind of loosely through time and space. (laughs) And, And yet it feels, it feels comfortable. I think that's a pretty significant achievement. Yeah. And it also the one of the things that hit me really hard is the depiction of how through art and expressing oneself you can literally bring the dead back to life. Like that's the the mm-hmm. power yeah. that you have. Um yeah. like you can do that with as little as it takes to express yourself, to think, you can uh, like contain all of those multitudes. And uh, you're right that it, like it is a similar theme to Coco in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the idea of like connecting these different generations and just keeping this story going, yeah. and also having such a large space in your mind like your mind can feel small especially when um you're struggling with stuff in your mind like mental illness so i really appreciated this book because it made me think so much about the vast cavernous areas you can have in your mind and like what what actually is in your mind? Like if you actually stop and think about how many gigabytes of information you have stored in your head mm-hmm. um, and what you can do with that information, like you can make your mind into a safe place. <laughs> it's true. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard, especially if you have traumas that mm-hmm. are, um, you know, pushing on those bad places in your brain mm-hmm. um yeah and that's okay my one of my favorite quotes from the book um is uh, i think that the girl with the blue eyes says this um 
says when she's talking to Sylvie about like why there's so much stuff in there after they start living in Claire's mind, she says, the mind is a big place. This is just the part Claire is aware of. What about everything she's forgotten or the things she's afraid to think about? There's a whole country out there. And just like that little thing Mm -hmm. of... You know, it's it's not just you don't remember things like there's things you don't want to think about and, you know, because yeah. it's your your mind hand touching a hot mind stove. <laughs> but, but that stuff is still in there. Like, totally. You're still dreaming about it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that that was really insightful, but also concisely put. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the focus on memory being a more desirable place than being in her dreams mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And there being more opportunities there. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think when you think of a dream, there's so much focus on like, uh, what's in a dream? I mean, God, <laughs> you can, there are whole schools of thought of like training yourself to lucid have dream. lucid dreams yeah. um, and yet do particular things when you dream. Um, but dreams are actually really restrictive. And as someone who um, has chronic nightmares and very rarely has a positive dream, I try to forget dreams. I try to get away from them. Like I don't dwell on them. And I, like you were saying, I love the idea that instead you should, you know, explore these other corners of your brain instead of focusing mm-hmm. on this one piece that seems like, I think dreams seem like the most fantastical and exciting part of mysterious brain stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked that they did go off into the the mountains, which yeah. is her memories, um, and explore those instead. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this this book made me think so much. I I feel like it was a therapy session. Like it was it was really good. Read this book, guys. (laughs) I also um, just so a segment that we cover sometimes, depending on the book, is romantic realism. And while there isn't romance per se in this book, I think there were some interesting things there too, and also relating to coming of age, because which has to do with romance in most of these books that we read too, Mm -hmm. especially with Sylvie starting out as a 12 year old. I was thinking of it initially. I realized as if she were a normal character in a book where Mm -hmm. we're going to see her grow and we're going to see her advance and we're going to see her become of an age where maybe I would be okay with her getting married. But she's Um, a story. So she she doesn't age is 12 forever. She's like a, Calvin and Hobbes character you know she is Mm -hmm. never changing Um, and I don't know why I picked Calvin and Hobbes which is a very rich comic with a lot of narrative opportunities well but it's a newspaper comic character where the same outfit every day same thing they're doing same grade and Calvin's character is a child like yes. that's there is He's no child. Calvin as an adult so I, I know exactly what you mean okay thank you <laughs> I, I just yeah I just want to say like that was by no means diminishing Calvin and Hobbes which is one of my favorite things no yeah it's incredibly important to all of us yes yeah. <laughs> all of us <laughs> all of us <laughs> the monolith <laughs> of Calvin and Hobbes fandom um but we do see Sylvie grow and learn and but it's it's all just happening 
internally. Mm-hmm. Um, her physical self does not change. It's yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking and fascinating to see the fact that she doesn't understand aging whenever yeah. she sees like what a, a new version of Claire or her grandmother or Lily. Yeah, and she keeps saying like, "Oh my gosh, this disguise! It's amazing." Um, and they're like, "I'm just old." <laughs> Just how my body looks now. I have no choice. I did not do this on purpose. Um, and there's also discussion of, you know, she's supposed to marry Prince Riggle, Rigglelump, Rigglerump, Rigglerump, Rigglerump. Um, but he doesn't really seem to want to marry her either. That's just kind of the story as it existed. You know, they're all actors essentially. Yeah. Um, just trapped in the same parts which sounds kind of horrifying but they do all seem to get fulfillment from it yeah they enjoy it they really genuinely enjoy it and then there's also like some interest between her and one of the thieves thomas Thomas. um but but every time yeah every time he'd be like saying she looked nice or bring her a flower i'd also be like this is not going anywhere (laughs) stop Mm -hmm. and sylvie would even say to him like get back to the story go thieve something (laughs) go be a thief (laughs) don't Don't be a flower (laughs) so there's also this interesting thing to think about after the end of the book which is do they go back into their preset characters and what like are they going to totally regress because the other she did change it she changed it. And Sylvie has retained everything she learned yeah. and experienced. But the other characters seem like they didn't. They seem like they were restarted. And they don't seem like they remember the woods or the castle falling apart or any of that other stuff. And this is the first book in a series. No way. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, which I was also surprised to discover because it feels like such a standalone. Yeah. Um, but apparently, in the second book, uh, they go into <laughs> there's there was a great description on Roderick Townley's website. The great good thing, the first book in the trilogy leads us through inner space into the labyrinth, takes us into cyberspace. Finally, what? the constellation of Sylvie blasts us into outer space. Spaceman. Oh my god. So they just they get more high concept. It sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh it gosh. sounds like it only grows from there. Like if we couldn't grapple with the reader character oh, interaction, next it's gonna be the internet and then outer space. Like what Spore told us it was gonna be as a game. <laughs> Sorry, deep cut. <laughs> So for anyone interested, it sounds like there are some other really cool additions to Sylvie's life. And it sounds like she is going to continue having new adventures. She's going to become a constellation. And I feel like it was a kindness of Roderick Townley and shows that he really loved that character that he did write more books. Because by his own definition, she would be trapped otherwise. This is stuff you got to think about when you're writing, you know? That's cool. You write by your characters. I'll have to read those when I'm ready, when I'm strong <laughs> enough. <laughs> when I'm strong. So let's talk about animals. Animals, just like animals, animals in this in book. this book. It's a great one. That's a good one. <laughs> the great owl is a wonderful fantasy creature. Um, Snow White, blind but seeing, knowing where to find Sylvie whenever she needs help, ripping through her shoulder with not a care. 
and just generally being a badass. Yeah, they. I mean, snowy owls are such magical creatures. Like, there's a reason that J.K. Rowling uh, made it like the first animal that happens in Harry Potter. Uh, they're they're just inherently cool, and the idea of Definitely. this giant blind snowy owl that like is this silent protector mm-hmm. is just like that that owl is a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what anyone says; it is so. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And the other really prominent animal is the invisible fish, who is super cool. Um, has kind of a hard job in this. <laughs> story the fish is more of a a transport device tool than a character but the fish is has its own you know agency for sure but it's not like the fish but also gets regularly dried rolled up right put into a knapsack to be taken on a journey it it feels more like the fish is i don't know it's more of a I don't know. Like, I, what is the fish? Yeah, I was going to say it's more of a horse-like character, but yeah. horses in fantasy are always like cared for and horseways. And often fully and, realized. Right. The fish Never is, forget. is literally made of paper. Hero in the crown. The, yes, exactly. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I don't remember. What was his name? Talat. Talat, yes. Um, check out our Hero in the Crown episode for more. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, he does literally get rolled up and put away mm-hmm. and dried like a tool. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's but weird also character. gets scared and upset when the queen, king, and Sylvie are inside of it because and the dog is barking and they're underwater and the queen's little dog starts barking and the fish is like, oh no, what's yeah. going on in my body? The, the fish <laughs> is a very interesting character. I don't quite get it. No, but but it's cool, and I'm I'm glad it is that it really exists. cool. I don't think I've seen an animal character that's yeah quite I mean, like uh, that one. I'd probably be less afraid of bodies of water if I had like a fish I could mm-hmm. unroll and then just ride around yeah. in. One hundred percent. I'm not afraid of bodies of water, but um, <laughs> brag, uh, brag. <laughs> Excuse me. Bring on the water, baby. Um, but I also think that the fish brings up another great point about this book, which is that it's set in what's supposed to be a kind of stereotypical fairy tale storybook world, Mm -hmm. but it's not all stereotypes and caricatures. Mm. Um, You do get something like the invisible fish, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, lives like next to a whirlpool and that's how Sylvie escapes from it. Um, And the king and queen are much less, um, royal feeling like they're less stiff mm-hmm. than those characters would usually be in mm-hmm. a, a fairy tale story i feel because they're mm-hmm. like really warm and they do care what sylvie thinks yeah. and yeah and if you think about it everyone really defies their type yeah. in the end the jester becomes a king the jester becomes the king thomas the thief keeps like bringing <laughs> small gifts and compliments uh sylvie doesn't want to settle down she is going on adventures as a princess. Um, even the queen who Sylvie says again and again is uncomfortable, you know, moving out of her set story role, um, her own narrative, uh, like does a lot of really bold adventure 
adjacent things um, in order to like keep existing Mm -hmm. and keep, you know, attempting to find some kind of satisfaction. Um, So I don't know. It's like a, it's like a rebellious story, a rebellious sort of story, which makes sense. Especially because like it was I've, written by Claire's grandmother, who seems great by all accounts. Yeah, yeah, it's very effectively twisted fairy tale in that way mm-hmm. that the characters end up subverting your expectations for sure, despite the fact that they have this like really clearly delineated path that they're supposed to be following. Yeah, and it was because of that that I kept thinking about Gail Carson Levine's Princess Tales books. It did um, remind me a lot of those. Yeah, while reading this, and maybe we'll do an episode covering like a group of those because I would they're love to so short yeah. um, but those are really wonderful so and fun. Um, yeah this also definitely reminded me of those pretend food pretend food we I, I feel like episodes we've done lately have been a bit of a pretend food drought um, there's not a lot of this one that's okay and you know yeah this one also when you have a story like this where there's a lot going on and you're hopping from book to brain well also like you don't have time to eat very much eating doesn't really matter to this like it, yeah it doesn't matter in the story unfortunately yeah. there are still some good moments that I appreciated um, one is, this is, I think the only thing we see Sylvie like get excited about eating, which is a bowl of gruel. Um, I can't read bowl of gruel in a book without just picturing something absolutely disgusting. Yeah. It makes me think of Oliver Twist. Yeah. And then I see like the cold gray mushy <laughs> lump. <laughs> I visualize it, um, yeah, pretty much as like a Neopets gross food. Uh, I think there is gruel where it's intentionally Neopets. so disgusting. Yeah, um, but I picture it as like pretty um, substantial, almost like clay, mm-hmm. uh, like a bowl of clay. Which I think, I mean, that's and I know that's not right. It's wrong because <laughs> yeah, I, I think that in reality space, it's like porridge. I, yeah, and I think it's in in particular like sad gruel is like really watery porridge. Finch. Yeah, totally. Yeah, barely food, but mm-hmm. like what's available yeah. or what your stomach can handle yeah. at that point. It's like the equivalent of like cabbage and potato soup with like barely any cabbage and potato in it. Yeah, yeah, just broth. Hard times food. Bad times food. Um, yeah, but she she like excitedly eats gruel after the owl accidentally injures her. And she's also given a cup of warm, foul-smelling liquid. <laughs> I, went, I was excited because that was the first description of a food thing we'd had in the book. So. And it's foul. <laughs> I earmarked it, but, but yeah, it's foul. Um, but uh, then someone comes in and knocks it over. Oh, and it's... Yeah, I think it's Pingree because she like thanks him. Yeah. She's like, thank you. Now I don't have to drink the magic potion. Yeah. And Pingree comes in to like verbally abuse her, which it seems like he does a lot. Pingree's a uh, jerk. And he knocks it over, knocks over the health potion, quote unquote, which yeah, is also actually a really call it funny that, way to describe Which I loved because <laughs> it just feels like I'm playing a video game. Yeah. Um, another food that I appreciated. Sylvie has a okay so this is after Pingree says she has to marry him she has like sad dinner similar to the sad gruel um, a solitary dinner of frog's legs and cabbage oof sad green fruits where do you go from there <laughs> I don't know 
I actually missed it the first time. And then I was like, wait, Grace tagged that page. And I went back (laughs) and I was like, frog legs. (laughs) A solitary dinner of frog legs and cabbage. Yeah, that's the new low. Brutal. Having... (laughs) I'm feeling depressed. I'm like, well, what am I eating? I guess I've, that. I've never had frog legs in my life, so I don't know if like they're good or not, but some like them, I'm told. Yeah. 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 I don't I know. Mean, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. Me Do neither. Do you like frog legs? <laughs> I don't think frog's legs are like a commonly consumed cuisine. I think it's kind of a anywhere, thing. Uh, right? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure. Or like, is it just outdated at this point? Perhaps. I think that regionally it's also like a, so not a thing at all. Like maybe if we were in Louisiana, it would be yeah, like more culturally thinking. around or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I, I think that one time I went to a Red Lobster, I, like the Whoa. one. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Whoa. I know. <laughs> no, I just can't believe we're talking about frog's legs. And then one time I went to Red Lobster. <laughs> Because I'm pretty sure that you can get frog legs at Red Lobster. At Red Lobster. Frog legs with a side of butter, which is everything comes to the side of swimming in butter at Red Lobster. <laughs> I think I've been to Red Lobster like once. Because you can also get alligator at Red Lobster. Like they have gimmicky mm-hmm. seafood. I'm not <laughs> a Google search. Oh, I tried to Google frog legs Red Lobster, but I actually googled frog legs frog legs and i was like (laughs) nothing's coming up (laughs) okay not seeing any results that doesn't mean that they didn't have them when i went there once and oh oh, actually i think you might be a time traveler because this article says that they had frog legs on the menu in 1968 (laughs) so who are you? What have you done with my sister? It was in high school. I went, a, a guy took me to Red Lobster on a date in high school. That's why I went, which I guess it was I in 1968. I never went to Red Lobster. No one, I never went on a date in high school. Oh, <laughs> uh, gross. Okay. Did you get frog legs? No. All right. I think that my date got the alligator and it was rubbery. Wow. <laughs> Eating alligator at a Red Lobster in the Chicago suburbs. On an awkward high school date. On an awkward high school date. Brutal. That is just such a vibe. Yeah, (laughs) such a... Palpable. Like, snapshot. Yeah, a real scene. (laughs) Okay, so we do get a pretty good mention of questing food for Sylvie's journey to move over to Lily. Her mother wanted to provide her with a caravan and quantities of provisions, from baby onions to wren's eggs, mm. and she grieved that she no longer had the resources to do it. <laughs> That's baby onions and wren's eggs. Yeah, amazing. So wren's eggs are delicate, like nail sized. Yeah. <laughs> Only the smallest, roundest foods for the princess's yeah, royal journey. Yeah. She's a princess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then Sylvie ends up taking a wedge of cheese, a fresh warm loaf of bread, a single change of clothing, and just in case, the wonderful invisible fish <laughs> dried off, rolled up, and thrust in her bag <laughs> again. Carrying just being treated around, like luggage. Like a newspaper. Um, but yeah, wedge of cheese and fresh warm loaf of bread is uh, very much my style. No matter what you're doing, I ate cheese and bread for lunch today. Yeah, it's If you have good cheese and good bread, or if you're hungry enough, it can be 
not good bad cheese, cheese yeah, and bad bread. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also a few great hot chocolate cocoa yeah. moments among, and this isn't in the story, this is among Claire's family. Um, and those are very cute. And yeah. it made me really want some hot chocolate. I wanted hot chocolate so much. We have that. Um, I don't drink hot chocolate anymore, and I should. Nick always buys, or whenever he's in the mood, Nick is my partner, he buys um, Mexican hot chocolate. It mm-hmm. comes in that the yellow like hexagon box, and it has so an abuela on it. So we always have some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... Back when we could go places, I went to Montreal with Mm. my childhood friend, Megan, and we went to um, this amazing place after we got lost in um, Montreal, the like big park that looks out over the city. Um, We got trapped in the park, like we were stuck up on the mountain for hours. (laughs) And goodness. Megan was like feeding me maple candies because that's all we had, and I get love blood sugar. <laughs> and uh, as we finally made it down, and the first we were, we had to eat immediately, and the first place we saw was a Juliette a chocolat, and we were like, oh. "Yes!" And you got actual French hot chocolate. I got drinking, drinking chocolate. chocolate. Yeah, it was oh, it was exquisite and a crepe. It was amazing. I'm going to go to press this week now. Mm, I haven't been to press since pre-pandemic. Mm. Ooh, okay, now that we're all hungry and bothered. I'm starving. <laughs> it's 5.30 p.m. Yeah. on a Tuesday. It's dinner time. Yeah. Um, badass lady meter. Yeah. I love how many women are in this yeah, book. Yeah, I was amazing. like, oh my gosh, women to choose from. <laughs> So, as I said, four generations of women, yeah. um, and Ricky, <laughs> Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> and Claire's husband gets some nice mentions as well, but, um, oh, yeah. and, and like L- Lily's husband gets some like horrible sounding or her fiance gets some horrible sounding. Yeah. Mentions. I hope she breaks up with him. No, they get married. And he's like irritated that now instead of bringing him his coffee in the mornings, she's writing. Which is a huge bummer because Claire's husband. No, sound- no, 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 no. <laughs> Claire's husband sounded awesome. Mm-hmm. Like he was a awesome caretaker, good dad. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lily wrote furiously. Her husband was not pleased. Up till now, his young wife had worked on her writing from six until seven thirty in the morning when she brought him his coffee, and from one to two thirty in the afternoon. Now he found himself having to get his own coffee and sometimes dinner as well. We buzz <laughs> off, buddy. <laughs> you can get your own dinner. Woman, no My make God. food. My God. <laughs> Um, anyway, so (laughs) before we get to the women, we just have to, you know, poop on the men, make it clear. (laughs) We do not like that guy. Um, would you like to go first? Yes. My badass lady is, uh, um, I'm going to give it to Claire. I, uh, give her strength and help. But also the ability to accomplish what she needs to do herself, ultimately. Yeah, it's so... Claire's sad as a character because we watch her whole life. um, And we see her fears and 
her concerns about doing what you just said about mm-hmm. being able to figure things out and about, um, I think she has a lot of fears of like not being loved when she's young and yeah. mm-hmm. feeling like Ricky doesn't like her. And But it seems like she creates a really nice life for herself. Totally. Like I said, her husband sounds awesome. So yeah. good job building a healthy relationship with a nice person. Yay. <laughs> And I will give my badass lady to Claire's grandma. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish that we could have had more time with her in the book. Um, Although we do spend time with her as a memory in Claire's mind Mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, But she's like such a good guide to all the story characters when they come over and she always checks in with them and she helps them all survive. And, it's her acting through Claire yeah. that helps the story continue. So she also like sees that her own creation will live on, yeah. um, which was very cool. And she gets to continue nurturing it for a hundred years. Yeah. yeah. My rating for Claire's grandma, is her name ever said? Nope. <laughs> I, really I, so. I do not think so. That's why they always just say like so. the girl with the dark blue eyes. Yeah, no, I feel... Because she was her grandma. Like, you know, you don't call your grandma by your, their first name. Now I'm just thinking of the soundtrack uh, for Wind Waker because there's one Grandma song. song. Grandma! No. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Grandma! With an exclamation point. Uh, that's the, the hardest part for me. Yeah. <laughs> I It's my least favorite part of Eddie's Zelda game when your grandma, grandma is sick, sick in Wind Waker because it's so sad. <laughs> this is where this book got really dark. Sick grandmas. I'm not here for it. Yeah. My rating for Claire's grandma is knowing that her story went on to have 40,000 copies printed at least. Yeah. Which she kind of does as like a memory piece, but we won't get into that. Yeah. What is memory? What is a soul? Who knows? Certainly not me. What is reality? <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's, that is it. That's all. Sleep well. Uh, thank you so much for listening and thank you again Abby for requesting this wonderful book and reminding me of it and bringing it back into our lives great quarantine read Um, we hope everyone's staying healthy and safe out there Mm -hmm. Um, as things continue to deepen (laughs) I was going to say be bad be bad (laughs) Um, and happy 2021 to everyone Our next book that we are going to cover is Inkheart by Cornelia Funke. Another audiobook read by Brendan Fraser. Yeah, we're very excited. uh, We're full-on Funke heads at this point. We've covered um, three Cornelia books in the last year, I think. Um, But they're great quarantine reads, (laughs) again. um, Really fun adventures, rich worlds, and we're super excited to revisit Inkheart. Um, So... uh, Brenda Fraser, if you listen to this podcast, will you be a guest? (laughs) Good try. (laughs) Um, And if you would like to see any of the covers for this book, other books we have discussed, um, you can go to our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, Twitter, dragonbabiespod, and Instagram, dragonbabiespodcast. Um, We put up intermittent posts on there. Good way to get in touch, make requests, recommendations. You can also email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. I just went on a big email replying binge, (laughs) replying to 
basically everything from 2020 because I got behind. But I had a great time, so I'm ready to reply again. I mean, <laughs> uh, to send me an email. As we say, you you know, you'll get a reply. We'll do your book. Not maybe not someday. <laughs> eventually, probably. <laughs> eventually, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think that's all for now. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, listeners. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>